0: I have given TikTok a go. I tried it. I bought... That's the saddest thing of this pandemic that I've heard. (laughs) Okay, well... uh... I want to stand outside and start clapping. That's so (laughs) bling. What
1: I'd like you to do... Oh, Captain, my captain. (laughs) Oh, Captain, my captain. Oh,
2: Captain, my captain.
1: Welcome to Oh, Captain, uh, My Captain. My name is Mark Oliver. Uh, I am here with uh, Ricky Masindo. How are you, Ricky? I'm good, Mark. How's it going? Do you know what? I'm all right, buddy. I'm not too bad at all. This is the first one that we've recorded since the podcasts have been going out. So we've had a couple out already. And this is the first one that we've recorded while Oh Captain, My Captain has been out in the world. And we should take everything as a learning opportunity. How have you felt about like the process, the the feedback, all that sort of stuff. Are you enjoying Is it? Is it freaking you out?
2: It's actually a lot of fun because now it's given me an excuse to start a Twitter because uh, to anyone out there over the age of 30, uh, no one my age really likes or uses Twitter. So it's been weird seeing how a bunch of like millennials communicate on the internet. But apart from that, it's been a lot of fun because it's like, uh, I think... I think something that I didn't realise about starting a podcast is there is a lot of editing that goes on. So <laughs> if you guys want to hear the original version of these conversations, maybe we'll start a Patreon. Who knows?
1: <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. OK, so a couple of things. Number one, I don't think I've ever I think this is the first conversation I've ever had with someone where they've looked up or down on millennials as the (laughs) older group than them because you are uh you are younger than a millennial
2: yeah so it's weird i'm in a weird group i'm on the border between millennial and gen z but i would count myself more as gen z because i've never not had the internet you know that kind of stuff
1: yes i've also heard of gen alpha as well
2: yeah gen alpha yeah i think that's people who are like toddlers now but i'm not really sure we need someone in these podcasts who can just google stuff for us just all of a sudden um so yeah so
1: this is our first one uh, since they've gone out the feedback i had episode basically people are really enjoying it and finding it useful which i'm really i'm really really chuffed with i really like that um episode one uh the feedback was it was brilliant but oh my god it was long like that was <laughs> the big feedback i had um and you've actually just you, you actually just made a point. You made a point there. Another one of those learning opportunities that we didn't realise was a learning opportunity when you just said, I didn't realise how much editing there was involved in a
2: podcast. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because like sometimes I'm just like, oh, that tangent can be cut out. That's bullshit. That doesn't need to be in.
1: But I think people don't realise how much editing there is involved in stand up as well like I think stand up by doing standup by doing jokes actually one of the big things that you have to do is is edit stuff out is make stuff tighter is make stuff more efficient um it's get to the joke quicker mm. when you're a newer act and you see all of these amazing uh comedians and some of the ones that we've already uh we've already interviewed and they they spout away and and you're like oh wow they're so brilliant they're so interesting they get to the point so quickly and actually what we don't realize or what people don't often don't realize is behind the scenes they have cut out so much shit (laughs) while getting to that point
2: yeah yeah that's actually really interesting because it's like i think I think something that's so easy to do when you first start out, which is literally fucking me right now, is to just think that your favourite comedian just goes on stage and thinks, oh, let me just tell a story and that'll be funny.
1: And some people who are brilliant at it and some people can do it. And some people who aren't brilliant at it can have a time and a moment and a, a, a period on stage where they just they hit it absolutely perfectly. There's quite a a famous routine, a famous moment that Tig Notaro did um, at a uh, he shall not be named Louis C.K. gig, and it became quite a a famous bit because she talked about her breast cancer, yeah. and then they just put it out because it was almost like perfectly fully formed. Yeah, but we've all had those situations where. You've done that gig and it's been perfectly fully formed, and then you've tried to do it the next night and it's just a bit shitter, <laughs> um, or the jokes aren't there. Um, most of the time, you do a bit, and although it feels perfectly fully formed, actually finessing it, editing it, and all that sort of stuff, that's the thing that turns it into stand up that we like. So, going back to the podcast, like we interview, me and you have this preamble chat for usually about half an hour. Episode one, we didn't really edit it down. I say we, I mean you. (laughs) And then we've learned to edit that down a little bit. And when we chat to the guests, uh, that's usually about an hour, which we will then edit down. Almost every podcast you'll listen to will have that process. Do you know what I mean? We listen to podcasts going, oh, wow, this is reality. Look (laughs) at them bantering. But actually what we don't realize is all the podcasts that we love They've got rid of the shit. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. There's always shit. Realistically, it's just talk for an like hours and hours and hopefully in that there'll be something good.
1: Oh, 100%. So, uh the TV shows that I do the warm up for. Have you ever been to see a TV show recorded before?
2: No, I actually was in the queue to get Mock the Week tickets before Covid. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, but you know, the global Oh, okay. Pandemic.
1: Well, when they're back when they're back you can come along and actually that might be a good uh a good um time to do an episode about warm-up and stuff because some people also one of the other bits of feedback is that we've mentioned about ricky's diary and putting those little bits of uh audio in but the fact of the matter is we're not doing it at the moment because ricky like all of us cannot go anywhere
2: yeah 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 the government won't open gigs just for my podcast <laughs> <laughs> exactly
1: but the um but the idea of warm-up oh yeah so this is my question for you um An episode of Would I Lie to You? Mm -hmm. That's one of the shows that I do. On the telly, 28 minutes. Do you know how long that show takes to
2: record? No, I don't. But I know it's like uh, they purposefully do stuff for the audience that you don't get to see at at home, for example.
1: What do you reckon? Give me a time. Half an hour to go on the telly. I mean, at least, I'd say an hour,
2: an hour to make it work. Two and a half hours. What? <laughs> Is that including your warm-up?
1: Uh, no, not usually. I usually go on at about quarter to seven, ten to seven, and then they start at about seven, and then we usually come off at about half nine.
2: Wow, wow. Fair um, way.
1: Big Fat Quiz of the Year. You watch Big Fat Quiz of yeah, the Year. yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a two-hour record. Oh my god! Do you want to have a guess how long the records for a Big Fat Quiz? are? <laughs> I
2: mean, by that multiplier, like six hours.
1: About five and a half. Yeah, about five and a half hours. So anyway, so that's how, so that's how these things work. That's how podcasts work. That's how TV works. That's how stand-up works. You know, the the concept of editing is a really uh, is a really big thing. Uh, and we have a guest today, and I wanted to to ask you a question here we go um because i've started throwing this in i've started i've started not briefing you (laughs) on what we're going to talk about because i quite like the idea of you having no no time to research um so have you heard do you know about the phrase finding your voice
2: yes yes i do Yeah, yeah definitely
1: so uh what what does that what does that phrase mean to you what do you picture what do you conjure up uh what what images have you got from finding your voice
2: well I mean immediately I think of like a film about an underdog songwriter who you know doesn't make (laughs) it the first time and not the second time but the third time they manage to find this part of them that makes them become famous but in reality, it's just when you do enough performances that you realize what you're good at and you double down on your talents and what you're trying to say. Because I remember, I think it was either you or Russell who said that like, the, oh, the classic thing that people say is that uh, you don't really, don't think about finding your voice before 100 gigs, essentially, because uh, before yes. that point, like you're not, you're just, it's just about stage time pretty much. So I guess it's just about—I mean, it's just about finding what you are as a creative person. That's the pretentious way of saying it.
1: Yeah, no, I think I can. I think I can absolutely see that. I think there is there's slightly more to it, and that thing about 100 gigs. Um, I say that to people. I know Russell says that to people. I was told it by uh, the brilliant comedian Adam Bloom, um, who is an amazing comic. And also, when I say these names, I instantly go. We must get Bloomy on the uh, on the podcast because he's a he's a brilliant brilliant comic with such a brilliant comedic brain. And yeah, that's what he said to me. Don't worry about all that stuff until you've done a hundred gigs. When mm. you've done a hundred gigs, that's when you can start thinking, "What is my voice? Mm. Is it? Do you think it's possible to describe what a voice is, like someone else's voice? Can you describe?" my voice or can you describe dave Chappelle's voice or like do you think it's possible Mm. is it something that we
2: can grab hold of Mm. and actually pin down that's a i don't know that's a really good question i think for for the practical marketing side of comedy it kind of needs to be because you need to be able to say Dave Chappelle is uh, Mark Olver is uh, or something like that or like
1: uh, I, I... I was really hoping. Because by the way, you do the edit on this, so if you could just edit that, Dave Chappelle is Mark Olver. <laughs> <and just leave laughs> You're
2: like alter ego. <laughs>
1: just leave that quote there. <laughs> so like, oh yeah, Mark Oliver. Mark Oliver's been doing this character act for quite a long time. It's a, it's controversial, if I'm honest, but
2: really successful. <laughs> that would be incredible. That would be the greatest role you've ever played. Yeah, no, I think it's like it's like it's a it's a difficult thing to really put into words, but it's a, for the practical marketing side of comedy. It kind of needs to exist uh, like a way to put it into like on pen and paper so I could describe Dave Chappelle as Dave Chappelle is a I mean controversial comedian, I guess, who takes a fresh eye at the at the world around him in a, with a comedic outlook or something like that. And Dave Chappelle would probably
1: If you described him like that Dave Chappelle would probably punch you in the face Yeah he probably would
2: (laughs) Oh and (laughs) I would be honest I would let him punch me in the face I would take that all day
1: The idea of Uh The the idea of describing yourself, God, this is one of the problems. So we got Finn Taylor on today and I wanted to talk about the idea of finding a voice because I think for a new comedian, it's quite a handy thing to think about while also forgetting about. It's quite a handy thing to have somewhere in your brain while at the same time not obsessing about it too much, but at the same time thinking about it, but not thinking about it aiming for it, but not aim. It's really complicated. And I think having a chat with Finn, for, uh, hopefully we might come to, to some of these conclusions because I've just realised that I've asked you a question that I also don't know the answer to. <laughs>
2: Uh, the thing is, I'm the one who edits this, so you won't have to listen to me fumble around for an answer like three or four times. Uh, voice is... <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure. So, yeah, no, I, it, it's a really
1: interesting... I always used to say that you, most successful people, you can kind of uh, define their acts in, like, two words. Mm. Like, Russell Howard is kind of like, you know... Uh, Bouncy and positive, and Jimmy Carr is <laughs> one-liner and controversial, and uh, Michael McIntyre is every man observations, mm. and uh, Josh Riddickum is every boy observations, and yeah. John Oliver is you know uh, British political. You know, like I always thought that it was possible to just uh, to identify someone in two words if they're really successful, but I have no idea how I would describe me in two words. Um, and again, that's maybe that's a question that I can ask Finn because Finn's known me for a very long time. How Finn would describe himself in two words? Ooh, describe or you. Or me in two words. You in two words. How would I describe you in two words? Do I want to describe you in two words? I don't think
2: two words is enough. For, <laughs> for you, Ricky Macindo, or for people in general? Oh, for me specifically. You need at least a novel to describe me. Oh, okay. Now I can't work out
1: if if that's arrogant or not. Because yeah, that sounded really cool.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know because because you did say if you're successful, you can do it in two words. So I've essentially said I'm not fucking successful, mate.
1: Oh, I see. Oh, I like that. It's the opposite of arrogant. Oh, I like that. It's yeah. self-deprecating. Yeah. Oh, that is absolutely brilliant. Okay, well I look forward to that then. I look forward to uh, to seeing if we can. Uh, take down the essence of Ricky Masindo from Moby Dick to uh, a Limerick on a greetings card uh, <laughs> from a massive Uber novel to <laughs> to two lines, really, really quickly. Let's have a think about this, and let's discuss this uh in the chat with Finn about kind of do we need to find our voice as a comic? Does a young comic need to find their voice? Are you happy with this? Yeah, as the lesson plan. For today,
2: yeah, and I know the thing that you want me to say at this point in the podcast, which is, "Oh, Captain, my Captain." Um, uh, we
1: are joined today by uh, the fantastic uh, Finn Taylor. And just to paint a picture, uh, Finn is in his flat at home, and behind him, uh, we're doing this on Zoom, and behind him, I can see a lot of alcohol and a picture of Lorraine Kelly. Is that pretty much? <laughs> Pretty much sums up your your lockdown. That's um that's my home office, Over. That's my home office. That's all I need. You have not met uh Ricky Macinda, but when we first said hello today, uh you described Ricky, I think, as another one of Mark Olver's weird projects.
0: It was actually much more lyrical than that. It was another face cast onto the Mount Rushmore of Oliver's weird projects. But yeah, yeah. To be blunt, yeah. <laughs> it's the latest in the line.
1: Uh Ricky, how do you feel about being uh, another face in the Mount Rushmore of Mark Oliver's mind? Are you all right with that?
2: I mean, I guess I'm all right with it, but I always saw you as one of my projects, personally. But what
1: the fuck, mate? <laughs>
2: Yeah, no, I thought no, I thought like I thought I was the teacher and you were the student in this dynamic. You know, oh captain, my captain. Oh
1: shit. Oh, we've 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 reached this episode and we've only just the, so yes, yeah, so, I think the episode, the, the series is called Oh Captain My Captain. I picture myself as uh an inspirational uh Michelle Pfeiffer, Robin Williams, uh Richard Dreyfuss, inspirational teacher. Um it turns out that Ricky is just uh flipped reversed everything and it turns out that while I thought I was the teacher, I am now actually the student. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Thing is, if you look at our if you look at our um logo where I have my arms folded, I look like the badass teacher who's getting you into line because the artist made me so much more hench than I actually am.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, we got the uh we got the logo and the music sting. Ricky got them done from a website called Fiverr. Yeah. Have you heard of Fiverr? No. Mm. Uh, Fiverr is a website where you can basically get people to do weird little jobs for you for like a Fiverr. Yeah. So I don't know what I don't know what else there is on there, but Ricky just went, "Oh, I've got us a logo. Got a bloke in China to draw it on
0: Fiverr." <laughs> what? Why am I not? I could have been doing this this whole year. I could have been giving out hand jobs for a Fiverr on the internet. That would have made so much more money than I have in lockdown.
1: Yeah, it's a real thing. It's a it's a real thing. So that's that's the photo uh that's the uh that's the sting is all done by Ricky so he's teaching me and he edits the podcast and all that sort of stuff and then what I do I get people I know who know more about comedy than I know to then pass on their information and their wisdom to Ricky Masindo. and this is a nice episode because so both of you uh both of you uh went to Bristol Uni so uh you went to Bristol Uni, I'm going to say, what, 2005 to 2009? Was it something like that? Uh, it was, it, well, no, it was 08 to 11. So 08 to 11. And so Ricky is in fourth year at the moment, and you were both in sort of halls uh, that were um, near but each weirdly, other.
0: I, one of the reasons I chose that was because uh, I'd Googled open mic nights and Oppo came up. <laughs> My gig. Oliver's open mic night came up, and I didn't tell my parents this, but but part of the reason we're putting because I knew I wanted to do stand up at school, and part of the reason I put my university's choices down the way I did was that I found more open mic gigs in Bristol than I did in I can't remember where the other places I was. Maybe Warwick was another one. I can't. There wasn't anywhere in Warwick.
1: Um. So yeah. So I'm I mean. sort of one of the reasons that you ended up at Bristol University.
0: Uh, I guess so.
2: So yeah. you're one of Oliver's little projects.
0: Like I said, I'm I'm the third face on Mount Rushmore, mate. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's, uh, it's Robbins and Richardson, and then
1: it's me and Ewins, and uh, Jared whose face fell off. Uh, <laughs> Jared, <laughs> Jared Hardy. Jared yeah. Hardy's uh, face fell into the sea. Mount Rushmore <laughs> isn't anywhere near the sea, but that's how far Jared's face fell off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't think I can claim Russell as one of my projects because we started at the same time. Because um, we started two weeks apart from each other. But John,
0: but, Richardson was after you, wasn't
1: he? Yeah, Richardson was a couple of years after me. Uh, Will Hodgson as well oh, yeah. uh, was a couple of years after me and Russell. Um, there's always... You know, Bristol's a great place to do stand-up uh, because there are lots and lots of gigs. It's absolutely amazing how many stand-ups there are in Bristol now. You know, it's it's phenomenal when when finn started in 2008 we knew them all didn't we we kind of we were i mean pretty much lived with most of them um and we could see them all the time whereas now not only are there comics we don't know there are gigs that i don't know you know there are gigs when we started in 2008 i don't know whether that's comedy as a whole has exploded in that 13 years or, or i don't know whether it's just in bristol it's kind of Exploded in that thirteen years.
0: I, I don't know either. <laughs> Sorry, I don't. I don't have anything to say. I, I have no idea. <laughs> no, it's. <laughs> I know that's a very, I, I know that's what's called a podcast cock block, But I have. Uh, I have no. I have no opinion on the on the comment you just
2: made. <laughs> uh, oh God, I can't wait to listen to that in the edit.
1: Uh, Finn, we were talking in the preamble about uh about comic voices about finding uh sort of who you are. As a stand-up comedian. And I've known you. How many gigs do you think you had done uh, when you started gigging in Bristol? Because you'd done a couple in in Oxford, a couple in London as well, some sketchy stuff.
0: Well, yeah, I did. Um, the school I was at was the kind of school that had a rigorous debate. And I was, uh, every year I had like a public speaking competition. And I, I, I won it f- sort of, I think nearly every, maybe four years out of the five I was there. Because I was just trying to do, I was trying to do stand up as a teenager, trying to you know, force use those platforms to do stand up, and then I did a, I did an actual gig in London when I was fifteen, and it was dreadful because obviously it was I was fifteen, and nothing, nothing I could have said would have made it was like it was in a pub in Soho. I mean, I mean it must have looked really weird to the people watching. <laughs> um, but then I'd done some sketches at school as well. We'd we we'd sold out the theater at the school theater and raised money for charity with some sketch shows. With a couple of ma- actually one of them is now, um, Paddy, who's the guitarist in Johnny the Baptists. He was oh, one of the guys okay. I did it with. Yeah, so he he went into comedy as well after that. But, um, uh, and then so but then that, but then by the time that I met you, which was my first gig, um. That that would be what I said was my that's my first proper gig. I mean, I remember before I actually went on, on the day of it, I was thinking if this doesn't work, then I can say like, I've I've given it a crack. But if it does work, then I'll keep trying it because I felt like I'd sort of tried it a bit. But I felt like that gig was like the first proper, you know, this was like definitively <laughs> a gig where I didn't know anyone in the audience.
1: And that was and you were in your first year as well, weren't you? And that was probably in like- yeah, that
0: was that was it was like a couple of months after it was a couple months after freshers week it was november or something
1: wow i remember i I remember it i remember yeah i think you showed me a photo a couple of months ago um of your first gig and in the front row was matt uridge just as a punter at your first gig
0: and there was a guy that i'd done a radio show with who was in my halls who was insane (laughs) um but at the time he used to he did stand up for about maybe a year the first year and a half that i did. Uh, And he'd like, he he ended up doing this act where he'd kind of, he'd sort of like rub Marmite over his face and hit himself with a toaster. And he'd once, it was like man versus toaster or something. And he once did it so hard that he knocked himself out. And I was comparing, and had to go on and drag him off stage. But I remember thinking that he was like this kind of postmodern genius. Uh, And then quite quickly realised that he was just a guy... Who was hitting himself in the face with a toaster.
1: <laughs> Didn't he used to do a thing where he used to try and kick himself in the head as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the thing is
0: is that now I went it's gone through like a full it's gone through full circle because at the time I thought that was mental, then I thought maybe it's actually a genius. And then I thought obviously it was crap. And now I think having having been at as many Edinburghs as I have been, he probably could have been nominated for something.
1: I mean, if Jordan Brooks wins it, then he is what was his name? Leo Whiteman. Leo Whiteman, yes. Absolutely amazing, yeah. No, he was a proper machine. And Ricky, this gig was um, next door to Bristol Student Union, where Oppo is now at the White Rabbit. Oh, yeah, so this is uh, this is exactly where it was. And it's a gig that I've run in sort of several um incarnations since 1999 2000, like that's how long ago. Uh, I started doing uh, Clifton comedy there. So, so it is one of the things. So, I thought it would be really interesting talking to Finn today, but not just talking to Finn about the fact that you're both Bristol Uni boys, both beautifully middle class schools, but also that idea about the comedic voice, the idea of. Finn, would you just. Dis- can you describe your voice? We were talking about this again in the preamble. Like, can you just. Dis- like, is it possible for someone to describe? their own comedy voice? Or is it easier to describe someone else's? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Because you could probably do
0: me, right? <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the only thing I remember, <laughs> the only thing I think of when people say, what is your comedy like, if, I, if they're talking about Ulva, is um, changing lanes, that's the thing I remember. <laughs> and you did this with your little hands, changing lanes. And it's it also was...
1: really nice that you're the first person to ever do an impression on me that doesn't sound like I've got emphysemia. <laughs> Every person uh... change, change your names, change your names. You had a joke about a woman
0: that was um being <laughs> This is gonna sound like this is all you do. You had a joke about a woman who was being fucked and uh, and the guy the guy wanted to go off was it you, you said he wanted to go off, off piece. Paced. And then the woman says, changing lanes, in a really Bristol accent. I remember thinking that was one of the funniest bits of live stand-up I'd ever heard. When I, saw you do that. I was like, that's so funny. Um, but uh, what were we talking about? What was the question? <laughs> Your comedic voice. Oh, that's it. Yeah, you're right. I think it's easier to explain, to describe someone else's because... <clears throat> Really interesting. community voice is sort of quite a nebulous concept. Like, I don't, I don't really know what it... I sort of know what it means, but also don't know what it means because a lot of it might be made up of sort of the things that reviewers would say mm. because they're trying to describe you to an audience that... Or commissioners at, at
1: TV channels.
0: Yeah, um, but, it's, but uh, while that's happening, it's not something that you're ever consciously aware of. You kind of know when you have it. Which I know is a really annoying answer, but I think, like for me, uh, or maybe it's true of anyone. You know, you've got it when someone will give you a topic, and you'll know either instinctively or pretty quickly, like what angle of attack you would go down with that topic, in like the way that you would you would find funny and that you think you could make funniest. But I can't I can't say it more concisely than that as to what my my voice is.
1: Um, uh, Ricky, how um, how similar is Finn's answer to the knots that we tied ourselves in in the preamble where we tried to, we were like, we had this exact conversation and we're like, oh, it's absolutely fine. Finn will help us nail this down. <laughs>
2: <laughs> there was a bit more clarity there to be fair, actually. And, and actually, Finn, I've listened to, I've listened to some I was. I'm a, fa- I'm a big fan, by the way. Like I've listened to quite a lot of your stuff. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, and it's um. You've actually changed my mind on a few things just because of your jokes. Like there was this one joke that I heard you tell. Uh, I'm not going to say your whole joke, but it was about how um, people, uh, black people, get offended by white people playing blues music. And um, like, and like, and like essentially the the punchline is essentially like, well, if we take it far back enough, black people started doing blues music because of slave chanting and which race was responsible for that white people. And it's like, what I love about that is the punchline could be seen as like a white supremacy, like white power, whatever. But it's like what it's saying is that like, it's a bit silly to take credit for what your entire race is doing or anything like that and i just that literally just clicked with me and i was just like wow i've never thought about it that way i've
1: just got to say really quickly uh finn don't worry i know this is awkward but uh ricky that wasn't finn taylor that was pierre novelli and <laughs> we've spoken about how you get all white people mixed up again so
2: <laughs> you all look the same
1: <laughs> but um, no that was fit i remember that bit of stand-up as well yeah
0: i'm i'm really pleased you i've forgotten about that bit that um That's a really good example of something where it's like, it's not even about, it's I really, I really like making people think that I'm about to say something absolutely horrendous or like wander into territory that I have no right of going anywhere near and then pulling a rug from out from under them with like a bit of logic or a bit of information that they don't think I have or something like that. Um, I suppose I just, I mean, I've, you know. I've always, I've basically been. I think it's probably something to do with my school days, in that I was the kids, I was the like teacher's son. Who I've never been punched in the face, and that you can tell that by my act. I mean, I just the whole thing is how much can I get away with, and it you know that that bit is, you know, you basically there's a long bit of tension where the audience think is he seriously going to claim like what is he really having a go at like a black person taking offence at kind of a culturally appropriation of his, of that person's music. But then when you think about it, you know, white people were the ones that were guilty of doing slavery, which means they are sort of owed some of the credit for some of the weird good things that happened <laughs> as a result. So it's, it's not even it's I think maybe the fact is I'm because I'm not I'm not arguing like against what he's saying i'm just sort of playing devil's advocate which i sort of think is what makes some of the best stand-up because it's a weird thing to talk about now because now you have quite a lot of comics who are sort of leaning into this sort of free speech kind of anti-woke thing and they're like trying to make that their their market niche and so in in those cases like in that in that kind of comics uh, hands that bit could could you're right just be sort of you know to sort of tastelessly incendiary for kind of no reason but the, the fact there's some logic in there and it's kind of a bit cheeky and a bit like i'm not saying i know anything but you know if you take it far back enough really we're the ones responsible <laughs> so yeah like you say it's very hard to talk about voice in a concise way and without referencing specific bits which maybe emphasize the fact that it i don't know maybe it's maybe it's not Maybe it's not such an important thing, or rather, it feels really important when you haven't got it, and then when you've got it, you don't really think about it,
2: yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, as someone who definitely doesn't have one because I've done gig number twenty two or whatever, it's like do you do you because i because I feel like if I just sat down and wrote a piece of stand up because I don't have a voice, I feel it could go anywhere because I don't know what I even think yeah. about things so does it does it feel restrictive at all that? you have that perspective and you know what you would say It's
0: not I think when it would feel restrictive is if you are explicitly um sort of branding yourself as say a left-wing comic or a right-wing comic or a you know some kind of activist comic which is a bit of, which is quite a popular thing now and it and it and it works in a lot of ways because people come to see you because they they think they're going to hear things they'll like but i i've always been quite careful not to do that and try because i don't like the idea that people i always want bit of attention with the crowd i don't like people just to come because they think i'll say a bunch of platitudes they agree with mm. you know i want to i want to annoy some people there's part i can't you cannot run away from that cause part <laughs> of the kick i get out of doing stand-up is pissing people off um uh so I think it's restrictive when you're like, oh, you know, if you're like, I'm the right wing comic and I have to, I have to have a go, I can only attack these um, topics through this prism, then it's like, what if the funniest angle is like coming from the kind of the left or the, or, or, or another way entirely, you know, you're kind of, I think it's sort of why comics shouldn't really wear any beliefs like openly. I think I think a lot of us don't really believe in anything. If I'm honest, I think a lot of us just believe in getting a laugh. I don't. I think a lot of us are pure nihilists <laughs> in that respect.
1: Um, well, I was just about to say that when you when you talked about that, which which was absolutely the right way of talking about a comic voice. Actually, it does boil down to the fact, and I don't know if it's nihilism or pragmatism or survival of the fittest or just wanting to get away with it, but. Almost all of us will do anything on stage to get a laugh. I have got yeah. absolutely no dignity whatsoever. <laughs> if I do, on some of the shows that I do warm-up for, every now and then I'll appear on camera as some sort of extra, whether they need a group thing. And sometimes I'll be given like an outfit to wear. And you see everyone all the other people running on to be these extras, making sure their outfit is looking good and they're going to look good on telly. And I'm trying to reveal as much of my ass as possible <laughs> because <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> I'm just like, whatever is the funny thing <laughs> to do in this situation? And I do have, uh, contrary to popular belief, I have uh, morals and some sort of sense of decency, <laughs> but at the same time, I do just want the laugh. I do just want the thing that makes the audience laugh. And that's part of the reason why the kind of the, the sort of
0: weird free speech, like Good Morning Britain debates are always pointless because they're done by people who aren't comics or who don't really understand that we just want to get the laughs. And sometimes mm. we'll go, we'll make a mistake because all we're doing is trying to get a laugh. Um, and it's something that a lot of people... A lot of people train themselves in like, you know, workplaces, corporate spaces to not say the funniest thing that pops into their head because they have a job that they need to keep. Whereas for us, we've kind of either never had to learn that or consciously unlearned it and gone, I'm going to just say the worst, funniest thing I can in the moment. And, I, and maybe what a comic voice is, is that maybe someone like at your level, Ricky, you know, you just want the laugh. That's all you know at the moment. Mm. So you're going about it in whatever direction you can. And maybe once you've done it, been doing it for a bit longer, you start to almost turn down avenues because you you learn that they won't work or you maybe you feel a bit empty after you've done, done a bit a few times. You go, I don't think I actually like that bit, even though it gets a laugh. Maybe that's why it takes so long is because at the start, when you get a laugh, you're just so grateful to have got a fucking laugh that you're like, oh, I'll just keep doing that. Mm-hmm. And then... You know, if you if you keep writing stuff, then you you then you start to be able to dispense with laughs because you you're kind of used to getting them, and even something that gets a laugh, you go ah maybe I don't actually find that funny, even though it works. Mm. So maybe that's why it takes longer. I don't know.
2: When you're writing, do you feel like you're trying to make a point, or do you feel like, or does it just, or you you do really just focus on the funny? Because I feel with your with your material, I'm always come away being like, oh yeah that there was something said in that five minutes or something.
0: Um, it. I mean, I'm sort of like that generally is that I, I get annoyed at, at kind of simplistic um, conclusions. I wouldn't say that I think I'm always looking for the joke, but I think, especially when you're in the run up to Edinburgh, you are aware that it would be worth your while peppering your hour of jokes with a few moments of insight or dare I say it, profundity, because that would just um, make you stand out in quite a crowded market. I mean, my, my hours are always quite... It's. I find it funny how they get written up as if it was just an hour of like well-made points, when in reality it's just been a complete wall-to-wall, 60 minutes of complete filth. But then I said one clever thing in the middle and went,
1: oh... And then I just went back to go, ah. You know,
0: <laughs> Is that um, the
1: difference between the Edinburgh shows that you did that that weren't audiobook versions of the Daily Mail and the ones <laughs> that then became... <laughs> like <laughs> Because you did, what did you do? Three Edinburgh shows or two Edinburgh shows of, of just Finn Taylor doing stand-up and then you had that one Edinburgh where I remember the room that you were in and it really felt like it it clicked in. Do you see a difference between Finn Taylor in a Edinburgh year one and two and Finn Taylor going onwards and Finn who's on Have I Got News For You and MASH Report and all that? Like, is there a difference between those two?
0: Yeah, well, I, I definitely remember after the, the my second Edinburgh, which was a bit of a... I mean, it wasn't disaster. That's a big word. It was just average. But But you're so trained into thinking that anything that's not a successful Edinburgh is a failure. The average average feels like a disaster, um, but my second show I was really trying to find I was trying to make this make it like a show, and I was trying to give it like a structure and, and it and it, when it didn't have one at all, it was just stand up and I think forcing a structure on it made it made it a really bad show um and I think in truth, I was just searching for something to talk about i sort of and then I was sort of attacking subjects in in the right way, maybe, but I think. When I latched on to the right topic, then it kind of, that's when it clicked. I mean, I remember, uh, I only, only really say I got actually politicised properly in like 2015. The election, I mean, I was a student in 2010 and got really into, like I was a big, I still am, a, I suppose, a Lib Dem guy, but I was really into Nick Clegg in the 2010 election. <laughs> then when everything happened, I just went, ah, fuck this, and just sort of didn't really pay attention to the news for like four or five years because I was just like that's just no yeah, and then I got back into it and I think that was probably when I started engaging in more real world issues then 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 that's when my voice I suppose started to click um, because it's not like I had a particularly interesting life to talk about you know I was quite <laughs> jealous of people who had this, you know people who could remember all this stuff in their childhood or who had you know experiences they were from you know immigrant backgrounds they had exotic kind of like families far abroad they had lots of culture clash stuff to draw on i, I was just quite cozy middle class upbringing at private schools that i wasn't really sort of i wasn't rich enough to go to but i wasn't lucky enough to go to and then all i wanted to do was stand up so i couldn't really talk about how i just wanted to do stand up i had to do stand up um and so i think it just took me ages to actually uh Find I kind of knew how I wanted to do it, but it just took me ages for the the right topics to
1: start falling into my uh, view, as it were. Did you ever nick your voice off anyone? I remember sometimes when I'm on stage, especially early... And I'd be shouting at people or comparing in a really loud way going, oh shit, I am actually being Ian Cognito. Uh, There were certain (laughs) times when I'm like, oh shit, I'm Andy Parsons today. Like I can feel my intonation being just like certain people. Did you ever have that?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I went through in Edinburgh when I was doing big value, which was a bit of a, which was bleak. Um, But I was doing a set and I was basically only really been comparing for ages before that. And I think I'd just learned how to properly write jokes, even though this was like four years in. And so I was, I was, in my head, I was like, oh, I should just be like Sean Locke or Lee Mack and sort of weird kind of offbeat jokes that are sort of barely disguised. I remember thinking like the times when it went well that I was sort of like, oh, it's like Sean Locke. And obviously you're right, you feel quite consciously that you're wearing someone else's clothes. And even when it works, you sort of, doesn't quite feel right. Um,
1: One of my favourite bits of advice to give to to newer comics is, so there's a big stage sometimes where everyone sounds like Stuart Lee, where everyone <laughs> is doing, and actually at the moment, I think there might be everyone sounds like James, James Acaster. Like, yeah. There's yeah. quite a lot of Acaster clones about. And actually, you know, starting with Russell, there were a couple of, you know, uh, Russell clones and... Um, uh, even Matt Ewins, who Zoom I use and is my lodger, you will see because he's had a bit of success in Edinburgh. You will see some people wanting to do, you know, uh, zany stuff and all that sort of stuff. I always say to people, if you're gonna, if you're gonna steal a persona off a comic, if you're gonna be that influenced by someone, be influenced by someone that no one knows. <laughs> like, don't be influenced by Stuart Lee. Don't be influenced by the people on the telly. Be influenced by. Tom Stade or Matt Urins or or Finn Taylor. Do you know what I mean? Don't be influenced by the ones that it's obvious who that is because everyone is doing it. Find your influences from somewhere a little bit more unusual, and we all do it, Ricky. Have you found yourself, Ricky, being on stage going, "Oh shit, I don't know if I feel like me today. I feel like yeah, I feel like this comedian.
2: Yeah, definitely. Like literally, for my first five gigs, I was just doing a Chris Rock impression." Like I was just going up there and just being like walking to and fro on the stage being like, you know what? Yeah, no, uh, no, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. it's like black people and all that stuff. Just like trying to pull off that persona. Then I just realized that like this isn't at all the way that I talk or the way that I feel comfortable on stage.
0: I still see some people who are pro comics, I won't name them. But they when they laugh a bit, they just did. They slap their thigh with the mic. And it's just so obviously they've been watching Chappelle for like the hour yes. before they went on stage. <laughs> and it, it's, I don't even know if it's affected or not, but it's just so obvious that they've been watching a lot of him because yeah. it's such an unnatural thing to actually do. <laughs> it's, it's not actually, it's not a comfortable thing to slap your thigh with the mic. Like you you only do it because you've been watching Chappelle. Um, But even people who have personas can just be watching too much of one comic. Maybe someone's got a new special out and, you know, you watch their other specials as well because you go into them or something. And then this weird – their material is one thing, but then they have all these mannerisms of another act while they're on stage. It's weird, though, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is, but we kind of – it's all about just trying to get away with it. It's trying to get away with it at the gig you're in. It's trying to get away with it in the Edinburgh you're doing. I suppose it's trying to get away with it kind of when you see – Uh, when you see TV people around, you know, Milton Jones is an amazing comic. He's a brilliant performer, but Milton offstage is not really like Milton on stage. You know, there were were quite a lot of people who, I suppose the problem with stand-up is like Finn Taylor face is on have I got news for you and his name is on have I got news for you and like we're watching Finn say what Finn thinks but that's not Finn <laughs> do you know what I mean that's not it's that's also
0: not the- it's also I was just stressed it's not always what I think either it's what <laughs> as, as I as I was made all too apparent uh the last time I did that show um when I had to be put on the BBC security service because <laughs> A, a joke about scale that got blown blown wildly out of proportion. Ironically,
1: yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, but isn't that the point though that that people think that that you're you're not saying when you're on Have I Got News for You, you're not going, oh, by the way, I'm just about to be the character Finn Taylor. Like you're presenting yeah. yourself. as... That's you, the, you're not wearing a silly hat. But that's the difficult thing is
0: that because you're also on, you know, you're on you're a comic, but you're also you're sat in exactly the same way that. Um, I can't remember Joan Bakewell, who's this Labour peer. she's sat there, and so sometimes she also think say she'll just say things that she means because she's that's why she's there. And then I say something that's funny, but to the person who's watching, who doesn't find it funny, they're like, "Well, he probably means that, even though it was outrageous or whatever." Because um, on panel shows, yeah, you, you don't own the space in the same way, and you're kind of um, you're kind of at the mercy of, uh, of the edit and stuff, and. Especially, actually, it's probably got worse, you know, um, like comedians going on Question Time. Ricky, no matter what, they never do that. (laughs) That that is fucking everything up, I think. Because suddenly you've got people who are making sincere political points on Question Time and then the audience members agree with them and they might go and see them because they agree with them. And then I come on afterwards and say a bunch of horrific... Hate crimes that are barely, <laughs> and they take them at face value because they went and saw the guy that they believed. <laughs> so it's like you're you're fucking with the gene pool if you go on Question Time. As far as I'm concerned, you you know you're a traitor to the class. Um,
1: Maybe we all do need actual hats, and so when we go on these shows, uh, you're wearing and you're like, oh yeah, no no yeah, but that's not Finn. That's comedian Finn. A,
0: but, that, but that's the, that's actually the problem with doing. I won't say podcasts like this, but if you're on a podcast that's not about comedy, like I think it's fine for me to talk sincerely about comedy in public, but I don't really think I talk sincerely about anything else in public because I don't want to confuse people. I I don't want people to think that I mean the things I say on stage because I don't, they are engineered little word crimes that I barely passable in a comic setting. That's what they are. They're there to make people laugh in that moment. I don't want them thinking that I actually think any of that stuff necessarily.
2: Wow, that's so um, interesting.
0: So, you know, I, it's part of the reason that I've not done Stuart Goldsmith's podcast yet, is even though he keeps asking me, I probably will do it at some point. But, I, you know, I'm just, I'm slightly reticent of, you know, crossing that divide too much because suddenly
1: people will see a different side to you and it's like not the side that you've worked really hard The thing about this podcast, what I wanted this podcast to be was something to help Ricky as a stand-up, and while helping Ricky, hopefully helping everyone else who might be a newer comic like Ricky, listen to this podcast, and if Ricky is being helped by it, the theory is that other people are being helped by it. So it's not just uh, talking for the sake of talking. I actually want there to be like, practical reasons that Ricky can go away and go oh well fuck it I don't have to worry about what my voice is I'm just going to write as many things as possible that I think are funny and that eventually audiences will think are funny and what you'll probably then find Ricky is when you've written 150 different three-minute routines that audiences find funny you will look back at those things and go oh fuck that's my voice
2: yeah that's so interesting because it's like this podcast already has been such a massive help to me cuz like everything you just said there about how you like you essentially have a stage persona I guess or you don't want people to take everything you say seriously and stuff like that like even even though I've I've I'm in the world of comedy that's stuff I've never really considered before like if I'd seen a comedian on have I got news for you or whatever I might have assumed that some of what they say is what they mean or that's what their writer thinks that they mean or something. But it's like, yeah, it is just people trying to be funny. And that's just such a straightforward concept that is really just sunk in right now.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's very weird when you start doing telly because you're not in control of it in the way you are live. And what I'm, I actually remember getting advice from I think it was Robbins who said when I was a year or two in, like when you're new try everything that you think of because when you start getting paid you're suddenly doing a job and you know you're you're punching a card and you're clocking in you've got to do your time you've got to get your laughs and you're off and suddenly the kind of room for experimentation kind of disappears and it's i know that's i remember thinking it was really hard because every gig when you're like 20 gigs in feels so important and feels mm. so visceral and um you know you're really aware of your progress and other people's progress and you want to you know you've you're really keen to kind of move up the up the kind of ladder that you've only just realized exists but he has a point in that really you know the gigs don't matter at that stage and you should try everything you think of because when you start getting paid you're you're suddenly you sort of have to do whatever works um which is what all of us. Are. I mean, all of us. The way we write is we go to gigs that don't matter, where we're not getting paid, and we can fuck up, and that's how we write material. Even the ones that get paid, and then you get to the stage where you can sort of slip in new bits in your paid stuff and get in. You they they tank. You've got enough good stuff to get away with it on the other side.
1: Yeah, um, I think for people listening, and I think Ricky has probably worked this out already from from just the twenty gigs that he's done. And most of the 20 gigs Ricky has done have been gigs that I run in Bristol. So, you know, that is uh, because that's kind of all there is at the moment and all there was in between those two lockdowns. And the thing is, when you start as a stand-up, you don't realise the different types of gigs there are. But actually, when you've been going and it can only take two or three gigs, it only takes chatting to the same people, chatting to the right people. And you go, oh, that's a new material gig. That's a new act gig. I can experiment in those gigs. There's only 12 people in that gig, so I can just read stuff off a notebook and see if that's funny. Oh, shit, there's 50 people at that gig, and they've all paid a five or a tenner to get in, so I should probably try and do something that makes me have a brilliant gig. But that gig where the only people watching are other comics, well, I'm just going to kick myself in the head or... Headbutt a toaster <laughs> and, see, and see if that work. I think the problem is if you then think if the only thing you can do is hit yourself in the head or smack your face into a toaster and that doesn't work when you're getting paid to do it, <laughs> you're probably not going to be paid to do it for very long. But there's also, well,
0: there's two things. The one is that, that what happens that Older just said, that all that happens there as you go along, it's just the scale changes. So, like, Frankie Boyle will book two weeks in the Hen and Chickens in London, 50 seats, for charging three quid, and he'll just dine his ass in front of people that allow him to until he gets the two hours in shape and goes to Leicester Square and does it in front of 500 or 1,000 or whatever. And it's literally the same as us when we started doing gigs to five people in the hope that we could get a set together to play to 30. It's just the numbers have changed. The other thing is that... Um, What's happening now, it feels like, with like, Ricky, you may be more into TikTok and all that. Yo. End of
1: Finn, get ready for this. We, we had this conversation. I don't even know if it was in the preamble. Ricky, can you tell Finn Taylor your attitude or how you defined Twitter to me earlier?
2: Oh, yeah. Um, I don't remember my exact words, but it's essentially where a bunch of millennials scream at each other instead of doing their jobs very true but
1: like ricky is younger than a millennial like people ricky's age people in their early 20s they don't go on twitter ricky was like oh one of the things i'm glad about doing this podcast is that i've now got a twitter account and
0: you're like what
1: the fuck like but like like, twitter
0: is to him what like bebo is to us
2: yeah yeah yeah.
0: everyone is constantly just jumping ship and then, then there are these like hollowed out net wrecks that are just full of fucking rats and pedos and white supremacists. And that's what we... I've been left on Twitter by people like Ricky, who are now on TikTok, and in 10 years' time, they'll all be on fucking Stopwatch or something else. They'll be on something completely different. And everyone will be like, oh, TikTok's full of
1: weird gen ears and they're all non-binary no you're absolutely right that gen alphas will be on stop stopwatch going <laughs> could you believe this tiktok guy ricky masindo this guy who's 28 he thinks that time is real whereas we all know it's a construct <laughs> time isn't real after race and gender it's time there's gonna be no watches <laughs> i i absolutely have no idea i have given tiktok a go i tried it that's, I bought- the,
0: sad, that's the saddest thing of this pandemic that i've heard okay well uh Um, over joining tiktok is
1: i i want to go i want to stand outside and start clapping that's so bleak what i'd like you to do what i'd like you to do mate what what you've done unfortunately you've come in too early people say a lot a lot about my stuff and it's never true (laughs) fuck off Get ready, get ready to see the hole that you have just dug where you've placed my dignity for being on TikTok going, oh, fuck, we're going to have to dig a little bit lower because I bought loads of cans of Fanta uh, from a shop. I... I, uh, I reviewed all those cans of Fanta and then I wanted to see what it was like and how TikTok worked. So for every can of Fanta, I did a little TikTok for just to see, just to see what TikTok is.
2: (laughs) But it's not like you were speaking about the Fanta. You were just like effects over a can of Fanta.
0: Was there also a part of you going, "Uh, I really hope this is it.
1: I really hope (laughs) this is, this is, I make it. I did think to myself I'm going to nail this when I have to put hashtag ad at the end of one of these TikToks. To be fair to TikTok I watched I've watched one that made
0: me absolutely <laughs> howl which I think is a Kiwi guy, quite camp who was guessing <laughs> he was watching videos of paint being mixed and he was <laughs> guessing what the final colour would be and he's so invested in it I've, you know, it's always the case is that you you rail against all these things you don't understand them, and then you see one of the things that's fucking funny, and you have to go, well, oh, fair enough. But um... I really
1: like Josh Jones uh, on Josh Jones on TikTok uh, reviews his <laughs> his favorite bread products, just stuff like that <laughs> makes makes me laugh. But I just don't understand it. So you've done it a little bit, right, Ricky? You've you've
2: you've sort of yeah, I've Tiktoked before. Um, but it's it's a weird app. It's like I um did it a lot more like a few weeks ago. And I managed to get like a little bit of a following, like 16,000 followers. And it's like, what? Yeah, yeah, but- I had twenty, I had 23 for my fancy. <laughs> so follow, follow me at Ricky Macindo on uh, TikTok. <laughs> but the, no, but that's the thing though about TikTok is like that number sounds impressive on any other app, but on TikTok, it's actually kind of meaningless. So it's like, let's say if, if I posted a TikTok now, my sixteen thousand followers wouldn't see that video because I don't know if, like, you've used like TikTok loads, but it's like it's based on the for you page, which is essentially like an algorithm that tells you what which video of the millions of video next you want to see. So it's not based on who you're following; it's just based on what does TikTok think you want to see. So you can, so it's actually quite it's easy to blow up overnight. But it's quite difficult to build a fan base. So essentially, the goal is to get those people onto Instagram or even Twitter or whatever, because those people aren't loyal. But this is
0: the weird thing. This is the weird thing is that you're constantly trying to move people off off to a different platform, and ultimately you want to move them live. But there's very few people who I have I've seen successfully move an online following into a live live
1: stage. Basically,
0: only Mo Gilligan I can think of. Yes, absolutely.
1: Yeah. They're a very. There were very few... I can't really think of anyone who... And, and Mo, so... Mo
0: was doing stand-up before, like, he, he started doing the Instagram characters. So when he went big, he could actually, you know, he knew how to play a room. Um, and I suppose the, the thing I like seeing is people who've never done live gigs doing their first gig, having done TikTok. They have all this fake confidence and it just <laughs> melts, melts straight away. And it's glorious because it's, it's the only you know they've they've already they've already you know their name's out there more than mine will ever be fair enough so all I get is to see them crash and burn at a club that I know I can play yeah. <laughs> for eighty
1: quid I mean but that's the thing because it comes back to I think probably what will happen on every single episode of this podcast is that the repeating theme will always be. Well, it's just gigs, isn't it? You just have to gig. You have to work. You have to turn it over. You have to have stage time and gig miles. You just have to yeah. to keep going and going and going. Even if you're really successful on TikTok, you will then turn up at uh, the Glee Club on a Thursday night. And a lot of people from the valleys will just tell you to fuck off.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, but what actually does do well on TikTok, like just from you saying that, is people who are stand-up comedians and just do stand up on TikTok. So, people who are actually established stand up comedians and literally will just look at the camera and just do stand ups like the stand up. It'll literally blow up to like millions of views if you can do it well.
1: Oh, look at Finn. I wish, I i mean, people at home probably heard the noise Finn made, <laughs> the face that he made. Come on, old man Taylor. Go on, do it.
0: Just press it. No, I refuse to. <laughs> I not that i'm going to fucking start a charity or fix potholes but there are better things to do <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah that's very true um, but you don't re- you, you don't go massive on social media anyway don't you you're not one of those people who puts a joke a day on the- i get i i get massive but i don't i get <laughs> after i've been on tv
0: people they they go in with both feet they really <laughs> they leave it all
1: on the field but um, but you know what, Finn? Those people who are going for you on Twitter, they're not finding you on TikTok, mate. So if you exactly. want to start doing, you know, you start going on TikTok. Those Think people... of
0: the amount of death threats I could get on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't do, I don't really, know. I, I kind of, I like Twitter because it is a forum for the most fucked up opinions that you could have. And all you have to do is sort of imagine yourself talking to someone like that. And quite often, you've got a bit of stand-up. Where you're just sort of arguing with a quote position on something, and um, it's a forum for extreme opinions, which is exactly what you want as a stand-up. Um, mm. So I just use it as a, I use it as a writing resource more than a career advancement thing. But also I put one of my gigs on, and, and and you know it's weird like when I do when I do shows in Edinburgh and at Soho and then some cities. I wouldn't say every city by any means you know, in, in like 100 seat rooms in some cities. They sell out and I have no idea why they're there. And I think maybe it's to do maybe it's to do with Twitter. And then I'll go to another, another tour day and it gets canceled because there's two people bought tickets. I go, well, no, it can't be Twitter. And I did a tweet with that one as well. So I have no idea why people turn up when they do. But I suppose it's a good thing to have some window to the world. But like, what is it, 12% of the UK are on Twitter? So, you, you know, it's not, it's not representative by any stretch of the imagination.
1: You'd- no, and I imagine TikTok is even less yeah. than mm. you
2: know. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. So
0: if you advertised your gigs on
1: TikTok, you'd get a
0: bunch of beanie wearing cunts to
1: your you,
2: <laughs> and most of them would be
1: twelve. <laughs> I cannot wait for our TikTok episode of the uh, <laughs> Captain, my Captain. I cannot fucking wait because because I'm because I'm I'm blown away by it. Like I genuinely, someone told me some of the sort of the financial side of it, and I was like, what? They can get that much? For, like a sponsored TikTok. I'm not holding. And so you can understand why some comics, why some peers of ours will try and give it a go, especially when there are no live gigs at the moment.
0: Yeah, I, I don't shun anyone for doing something during a pandemic. We've all done stuff just to get by. That's fine. But <laughs> they the like sp- sponsored content. I don't know. You're like, you're, you're, you're suddenly, you're, you're then, when you're on stage in a comedy club, you're basically as free as you can be. The only rule is you have to be funny and you can talk about anything. You can, you can call, you can call women in the front row, fat hags. You can call, you can be racist within a degree. You can do it. If you're funny enough, you can do anything. You can do literally anything. And it's, that's why it's so addictive. It's cause it's so freeing because you're in a safe space. But when you start, when you start being beholden to advertisers to do content you know, no matter how funny it is, you're suddenly it's the same reason I struggle with like getting my own TV projects off the ground is that there's just this 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 kind of um, bureaucratic kind of layer that, that, that gets in the way of your freedom, which is the reason we're all addicted to it. I think
2: it's it's weird because I think because of my youth and my the fact that like I'm seeing comedians who are like just a bit older than me it's strange because I feel like now the trend that's happening is if you're doing comedy, you almost need a place where people can access you 24 seven. So it's like, it's like, that's the trend that America has gone into definitely like with podcasts and online videos and Twitter and stuff. It's like you need a resource where someone can be like, I want to watch this person right now. Let me go onto their YouTube channel or their Twitter or their podcast or whatever. It's like, uh, that's the kind of ADHD environment we're in now.
0: But it's also this data-driven thing where comics will go, well, I'm not getting any recognition from quote-unquote quote, traditional media. So I'll build it mm. myself and they get all these followers and they can go to a commissioner and say, hey, look, I've got all these people that follow me. So if you give me a show, then they'll watch your channel. And that's very seductive. And it's kind of democratised the process to a degree. Although I do like the, I do quite like the idea of gatekeepers. I know that's not very fashionable, but I like <laughs> I like having people who are sort of paid to have a semblance of like taste. Mm. I like the idea of experts. I think dem- democratizing
1: everything is a bit bad, maybe. Yeah, but also I don't want access to anyone's content 24/7. There's literally the like the like apart from fake taxi. I don't want to watch <laughs> anything <laughs> 24/7. There
2: we go.
1: Just, just absolutely not for me. Changing lanes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and that is this week's sponsor of Oh Captain, My Captain. <laughs> so use code <laughs> Changing Lanes at checkout for ten percent off Fake Taxi. This is why
0: I don't do many podcasts because it, it can only serve to damage the brand.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, Finn, thank you so much. Ricky, I hope that was helpful. We will. Uh... We will discuss this at length, probably on the next episode, and uh, and talk about uh, and definitely when we get the TikTok person in, we will absolutely use this as the appendix. Oh, event,
2: Captain,
1: so. my <laughs> uh, Finn, take care, and we will uh, we'll speak oh, Captain, soon. Yeah,
2: thanks. My Captain. Thanks.
1: Bye. Thanks.
2: Oh, Captain! My Captain! That
1: was Oh, Captain! My Captain! Thank you very much for uh, listening. I hope you found it useful. Um, I think you all know. Uh, what I'm going to say now, but uh, one of the things when you do podcasts is that uh, uh, basically it, it, we want more people to listen to it because we think it's quite useful. Uh, Ricky, people can listen to it. I'm, I know they can listen to it on Spotify and I listen to it myself to hear my own voice on pocket cast where else can people listen in
2: well you can listen in at apple Podcasts. you can listen in at breaker pretty much anywhere you get your podcast really you can also listen to it at google podcasts which i did not know existed until i started doing this but just type in podcasts and wherever you get your podcast, it'll be there
1: and to help us um on all of those sites there are ways to subscribe and to review and say nice things correct
2: yeah or unnice things. I mean, <laughs> any attention is good attention on the internet. But yeah, best place to leave us a review is on Apple Podcasts. Just go to our page, scroll to the bottom and leave us a star rating. Tell us what you think. Tell us if you have anything you think we need to improve on. And follow us on Twitter at OCATMyCatPod oh and subscribe to us on Spotify. Basically follow us everywhere, except in person, because that wouldn't be good. I mean, unless you're a massive fan.
1: And uh, send in questions if you've got oh, questions, captain, topics that you captain. want us to talk about. Uh, re oh, captain, uh, sort of refer us captain. and recommend us to your friends. And I think oh, that captain, is the end of this bit captain. of the podcast, correct?
2: Yes, it is. It really, really
1: oh, is. My captain.